Good morning, and glad to have you here. And for those that are visiting with us, um, I want to make a announcement here from Susie to help us to remember about need for some nursery workers. If anybody would like to volunteer for that, I guess they could use some help. And they got three, three or four, no, four back there today. Three? Oh, Owen's back here with Mama. Okay. I, yeah, I'll say the day that Owen goes back to the nursery, we'll have volunteers galore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I'm getting out of that one because I might go back there and volunteer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. It's today. We probably should sing that about that. It's happy birthday. It's Jeff. Jeff, come on out here. And on Angus, too. It's Jeff, too. Same day. Well, Jeff's, yours is 13th, and Jeff's is, is um, today, today. And Joy's the 12th. In the 12th? Wow. Here we go. He's going to lead us. Oh, another one? For, when, when, when's yours? 24. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Very good. I wasn't about to sing in front of that microphone. Huh? It, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well. We're getting out of that one. December the 5th at the Melton's. Boy, I'm looking forward to that. I just hope we don't forget it. The only good thing about that, well, I don't know. That's I, I got Janet said she won't forget that. <laughs> oh, I'm getting off of that subject, too. Okay, let's, let's, um, well, as we're going to be in the New Testament here, I guess we'll start over in Mark, so you might want to turn there. We'll get there eventually. What I want to talk about today is, is, um, something that I think most of us here can relate to. Common people. Regular Ordinary people, common people. And believe it or not, the New Testament has a good little bit to say about that. And so we want to do a little little talking about that this morning. In the New Testament, there were several religious groups, as you're you're aware of. In Mark chapter 7, it tells us about a, a religious group there that we're all probably most familiar with of all of them, um, the Pharisees. And I don't know why, all the while I'm talking about that, I'm turning over to the John, and I said go to Mark. Mark 7, verses 3 
and 8. It says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And that's the key that we want to note about the Pharisees. They were the keepers of the tradition, the oral oral law, that which was passed down orally by the rabbis, uh, things that they had instituted in order to help keep the written law, the original law that was given through Moses. Down in verse 8, it says, For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. That's Jesus in his reaction to the Pharisees. And of course, you go back to the Old Testament law. Would you find anything about the washing of pots and cups and so on? Well, only in relationship to the utensils that were uh, used in the um, temple ministry, but not for the common, ordinary, everyday use of such things. But the rabbis, in order to help the people keep the law, they passed along these oral traditions. But of course, as we'll find out, they looked down upon the common people because they didn't really observe those things that much. So, and then later on, of course, these things were written down, and we know this term today, the Talmud. That, the Talmud is the, rec- the recording of those oral traditions written down in, in um, written form for us today. Nicodemus and Paul were two of the more well-known Pharisees that we would be associated with or know about. Then secondly, we had the Sadducees over in Matthew chapter 22. We get a little picture of them. Matthew chapter 22, and this is an interesting passage. We won't take time to look through the whole thing. <coughs> but in dealing, you know, now the Pharisees, uh, they were much more strict and what we would call fundamental in their beliefs concerning the scriptures and the giving of the law. The Sadducees held that there was no resurrection. And, of course, you might remember that in the book of Acts, Paul used this little point of tension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees to create a little diversion when he was uh, being held in trial. And here we find Jesus dealing with this matter about the resurrection. Verse 23 is where it begins. It says, The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say uh, that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, and his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers, or brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother, and likewise the second, and so on. Therefore, in the resurrection, remember, this is a hypothetical question for them because they didn't believe in a resurrection. They were trying to set him up because of whose, whose wife is, you know, whose wife is she going to be? Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife will, shall she be of all these seven brothers? <coughs> but Jesus said, you do err. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. 
The reason they did not hold to a resurrection was their claim was you could find no teachings in the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, about the resurrection. And if it's not there, then we don't believe in it. We're not going to teach it. Well, Jesus points something out to them about that. And so if you look at uh, verse 31, he says, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, for that, let's turn back to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6. Now remember Jesus said, have ye not read? Well, he's pointing them back to the Pentateuch, to these books of Moses. Exodus chapter 3 verse 6. He says, moreover, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, it doesn't say here anything about a resurrection. But Jesus, using profound logic, explains to them back here in Matthew, in verse uh, 32, he says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so he's using by uh, extrapolation, Simply saying that if God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how could he be their God if they're dead? God is only the God of the living. And so, when the multitude heard this, in verse 33, they were astonished at his doctrine or at his teaching. A correction to the mistaken idea of the Pharisee or the Sadducees concerning the resurrection, another religious group, another religious group that's not directly mentioned. We only know from historical records, the Essenes, although some think maybe John the Baptist was associated with them since they had um, lived out in the desert and were um, exclusivists, believing that they were the only chosen ones of God or the true chosen ones, and they were an out to the desert to await the day of judgment. Uh, and then you had the, the zealots. The zealots were another group that primarily their big thing was they just didn't like Roman rule. And sort of like the um, um, John Maccabe- Maccabeus, or John Maccabus of the Maccabees, <laughs> uh, who wanted to, at every opportunity, put down Roman rule. So consequently, there was a little insurrection on their minds, and they would occasionally go out and make these guerrilla raids on uh, Roman soldiers and try to kill them and, and, of course, hopefully overthrow the government and set Israel free. That was their big thing. You might remember there was one of these mentioned, at least one in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 15. Simon, the zealot, 
in Luke 6.15, he says there um, of his disciples was Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, or Simon the Zealot. And he was, he was, so not only was he one who was desirous of putting down Roman rule, but he became a follower of Jesus Christ. That's Luke 6.15. Now, what about these common people? So you had these religious zealots. You had the religious leaders. You had those who um, were so uh, devoted to the Lord and so desirous of serving God that they withdrew themselves to the, the desert and avoided basically contact with the rest of the nation. And you might remember that was a part of what uh, John the Baptist was doing when he called the nation out into the desert to be baptized, was he was calling them out to separate themselves, he says, from this untoward generation, this wicked generation. And so this whole idea of separation associated with John the Baptist and the Essenes. And so you had these religious groups. But then you have a reference to the common people, the everyday person. Often you'll see references in the New Testament, they were just called the multitude or a throng or a crowd. Or the King James uses a, um, an old-fashioned word, uh, the press. Remember with Zacchaeus, how he could not get up to see Jesus, it says, because of the press? It's not because there was a bunch of news reporters around and he couldn't get up there. Uh, not at all. He just There was such a great throng of people, he wasn't able to get up there. These were the common, everyday, ordinary people of the New Testament. So we want to look at that for just a little bit this morning. Um, one of the things that, of course, they were, we already noted that they were looked down upon, but the Talmud, this is one of the oral traditions passed down in the Talmud that's written down and recorded for us, and it says this. It's just a quote I wrote down. The Talmud states that the people of the land, which was another way of referring to uh, the common people, just the, the dirt farmers, you know, or sometimes uh, we use slang terms like hillbillies. A hillbilly is really just a dirt farmer. The people of the land, the Talmud says, were those who had not associated with the wise in order to learn the practice of the oral law. Now, that's an important term. It's an important thing because... When you realize the attitude of the religious leaders and how Jesus responded and interacted with them, and we realize that their disdain was because of their, not their lack of attention to the law of the five books of Moses, but to the oral tradition. So let's keep note of that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, we've got several verses to look at this morning. And verse 16, well, not 16, 19. I mean, I do have 19 in my notes, so why I said that, I don't know. Verse 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, and by the way, 
you look at verse 16, he says, Whereunto shall I liken this generation? And they say, this generation, and talking about the Jewish leaders, they, they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. You see, they didn't think too much of him as one who went about teaching in the temple courts and in Solomon, on Solomon's porch and so forth. And great throngs of people were gathered around him, huge crowds. Some would number in the thousands at times listening to Jesus teach. And yet they held him in disdain because they said he associated with publicans and sinners. But of course, the answer to that, he says, is wisdom is justified of her children. Now, that's, that's a really neat enigmatic statement. Wisdom is justified of her children. We'll see something of the outcome of that, I hope, as we proceed through this. Now, over in uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse 2. Luke 15, verse 2. Actually, we'll read verse 1 as well. This is another related (coughs) verse. There are several such verses in the New Testament talking about the Lord's association with the publicans and the sinners, the tax collectors. In verse 1, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eats with them. And then he began, notice, notice the next phrase, And he spake this parable unto them. Now to understand about the parable, you need to go back to verse 1 and note a little phrase there. To hear him. Remember, we've studied in many times, and I know you've heard this in the past, so I'm just going to give a little brief rehearsal of it, but in Matthew chapter 13 and particularly Luke 8, when the Lord began to teach in parables, the reason he taught in parables was because those who had ears to hear, they understood what the Lord was teaching them, but the religious crowd did not. The publicans and sinners, it says, came to hear him. And so when he taught in parables here, it was because they heard, but the religious leaders didn't. Oh, they heard physically with the ear. They heard the stories, but they missed entirely the spiritual truths and the application of those truths to their own lives. They didn't, in other words, they heard, but they didn't hear. They heard the physical words with the physical sense of the ear, but it, they didn't hear with their heart. It never, never made it where it needed to go. John chapter 9, verse 16. Not only did Jesus associate with the sinners, some even considered him to be a sinner himself, just one of the common people. 
Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. He's just a sinner amongst all these other common people. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. Matthew 9.13 says, But go ye and learn what that means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, of course, there's a, there are two ways you can look at the word sinners. He's just talking about those, uh, that, that general group of people, which is all of us, that are in sin, that are born with sin. But here he's making a distinction between the common people and the righteous. And the Pharisees were termed righteous. As a matter of fact, the Lord said in Matthew chapter 5, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you'll in no wise enter the kingdom. So it wasn't like the Pharisees weren't righteous people in their observances. They were even to the minuteness of the letter of the law. And then beyond some, what Jesus condemned was the oral tradition, the adding to the law, adding burdens so so uh, minute. <laughs> and you're well aware of some of these about uh, the, well, we mentioned one already. We read it about the, the, the washing of the hands and uh, before a meal and, and the washing of the pots and, and the cups and so on. And he's not advocating eating off of dirty dishes or eating a meal with dirty hands. He's talking about the heavy burden they placed upon them to never even touch a piece of food without having washed your hands for ceremonial purposes, for self-righteous purposes. I mean, after all... The Lord's disciples went through a field of wheat, you know, and grabbed a few heads of grain and rubbed them together and blew off the chaff and threw a few grains into their mouth and began to eat. And the Pharisees chided him for it. Now, if you were to turn back with me to Hosea chapter 6, you'll find this expression in the Old Testament here. Hosea chapter 6. And this this verse and this quotation by the Lord, you see, gets right at the heart of the matter of what was the division between the Lord, Jesus, and those religious leaders. In verse 6, he says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. All of these things that God prescribed for Israel, he simply gave them the, the rules, the regulations, the prescriptions for how they were to bring offerings 
and how they were to conduct themselves when they brought an offering to the temple for sacrifice or whether it was a a meal offering or a monetary gift, however it was to be done. And and, And the religious leaders, as the nation began to deteriorate spiritually over the many centuries, and as this oral tradition began to accumulate into in a virtually impossible thing for the people of the land to keep. And yet the Pharisees held themselves in such high regard, you know, that they thought, well, we're the only true keepers of God's law. And so consequently, those who just kind of threw up their hands, the common people, and gave up and said, you you just can't really keep, you can't really keep this. Well, it, You know, it was the matter of the heart anyway. It was not the letter of the law that God was concerned with. It was a question of mercy and the knowledge of God. Now, back in Mark chapter 12. Verse 35. Notice what happened. <coughs> Excuse me. Notice what happened when um, Jesus was teaching the people here. Verse 35 says, And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the Son of God? Now, of course, we realize that in this setting here, he's about to reveal himself again as the Messiah. And he does so with a very pointed question. How say the scribes that Christ, the Messiah, is the son of David? How is that? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? In other words, is the the one whom, would David have had a physical son or a descendant and then turn around and call him his Lord? That was not the common manner. You know, when when, when a, um, a king died... He was held in awe and reverence by those that followed after him. Here was one yet to come that Jesus was calling Lord. And then he says, and the common people heard him gladly. And we should take note again of that word, heard. It doesn't mean that they all were able to hear him physically, what he was saying, but they they comprehended They understood what he was revealing himself to be. That word common people, literally it just means this large crowd heard him gladly. But you see, this is a, I think here, a fair translation. Though it may mean literally large crowd, the reference here is to the common people. The large crowds who were following Jesus wherever he went. And listening to him teach and preach. 
Now John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, verses 40 to 49, we're going to read this passage here. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet, the prophet, not a prophet. They weren't declaring him to be a prophet just because of what he was teaching and what they were astonished by it, but this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him. But no man laid hands on him. I mean, telling you, just right then and there, some were ready to put him to death at this point. But in verse 45, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? And the officers answered, Whenever man spake like this man. And then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? In other words, if we haven't believed on him, then you shouldn't either. But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Now these, this verse here, these people who knoweth not the law. It was because they had not been educated in the rabbinical schools. They were not literally here. They were unlettered people. We often use a phrase like that to refer to a scholarly educated person saying he is a man of letters. And that's literally what he's having reference to here. They were unlettered people, unlearned, uneducated, common people. Ordinary folks. So when how could you be so deceived, you officers, that when these common people, because they thought he might be the prophet or the Messiah, and you would think so too, you need to be following our lead. You need to follow the lead of the Pharisees. And we haven't believed on him, although secretly there were some. Because we look at verse 50, Nicodemus saith unto them, and by the way, Nicodemus, remember, was a Pharisee, and he questioned them on this point. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? And they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search. And look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Well, of course, they didn't know their scriptures very well there either. <clears throat> Again, the, the scriptures are pointing out something to us here concerning the common people and their perception 
of who Jesus was and their understanding of his message as opposed to the religious leaders of the day. They heard. And, of course, we could properly ask the question, is it any different today? Is God still doing the same thing today? Revealing the profound things of his word to babes, to, as we would say it, quote, the uneducated, the unlearned, the common people, ordinary people. Now think about that. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. And then turn back to Luke chapter 24. Put your hand or your finger there. I guess you could put your whole hand in there if you wanted to, but finger will do. Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 4. All right. And Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Peter and John had been preaching, and it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. The unlearned and the ignorant. You wouldn't find us Pharisees. You wouldn't find us Sadducees. You wouldn't find us religious leaders hanging around with him. But they took knowledge. They understood because of their preaching who who they had been associated with. Unlearned or unlettered and ignorant (coughs) men. Not terms that would be, that you and I would think of as like being a put down. He's not, they're not putting them down. They're making a division. They're making a distinction between them and us. Because they did not observe the oral traditions of the law, the Pharisees and and many of the other religious leaders as well looked down on the common people and saw them as being cursed and having not the favor of God. Only God would look upon a Pharisee with true favor. And yet we find just exactly the opposite in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, who he came to purposefully associate himself with. Going into the homes of sinners and tax collectors and sharing a meal with them. Even at one point, you remember a sinner came into the house of a Pharisee where Jesus was having a meal and weeping over his feet. Now, I try to picture this. Tears falling down on the feet of Jesus, dust covering his feet, and those tears just, you know, splat, hitting those feet, making a little mark there where the dust on his feet was, and then taking her hair. And wiping the dust off of his feet. Washing them. Can you picture, can you imagine the awe 
with which and and the the um, uh, honor and I'm not sure what other word I could come up with that which in which they held Jesus because of his association with the common people and because of his love and his mercy and that which they beheld in his own life. In Luke chapter 24, it says, you know, remember this phrase, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Look on over in Luke chapter 24, and remember also we've talked about that that matter of hearing that the common people the everyday person went to Jesus and they heard him the distinction is is that well everybody there religious leaders common people alike heard Jesus preach but only they understood what he said look in verse 32 After Jesus had been crucified, following his resurrection from the grave, these disciples were walking along this road and they said, as Jesus was teaching them, it says, their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. Their eyes were opened. Look over at verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. You You know, remember what it was said earlier about the Pharisees and the zealots and the Essenes rather who felt like they were the true chosen ones of God, the really spiritual ones that understood. And yet of all of these people, it was only to the common ordinary person that God gave an ear to hear and an eye to see and hearts that understood the message that he was proclaiming. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 2 now. I just want, this is a really a simple message, I know. But to me, it's both simple and very profound. As we consider you know, what that meant in the, in the lives of the people that are revealed to us and exposed to us throughout the New Testament and the interaction that Jesus had with these religious leaders. But I want us to think for a moment here in Luke chapter 2 and a very simple thing verse 7 I'm not even going to tell you the context because you know and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger for there was no room for them in the end in, not in the end, in the inn. <laughs> From the very beginning, in the choice of parents, 
for the Lord Jesus Christ right down to the location of his birth, the association of the Messiah was with the common people. And I just had a thought, so let me look it up here and make sure I got the right reference. Otherwise, I'm not going to go do it. Um, Yes, Isaiah 61. Let's turn there. Of course, there's a New Testament reference we could turn to as well concerning this verse. But in Isaiah 61, and of course the Lord quoted this verse as he was teaching in one of the synagogues one day. 61.1, Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, when John the Baptist asked and, and sent those to ask Jesus, are you the one that is to come? Are you the Messiah? And he said to go tell John the Baptist that the poor, I'm preaching to the poor. I'm healing the sick, ministering to the prisoners. In other words, Jesus was telling him that by the very virtue of the ministry that I have, what I am doing is a visible testimony to you of who I am, who I came to associate with. And it was even prophesied and told us who Jesus would be ministering to, that he wasn't going to come and show himself to the religious crowd. And right down to the place of his birth back here in Luke chapter 2. In these humble surroundings. In a manger. I want to close with this thought. Let's just suppose that today, that is in our day, was to be the day that Jesus was to come and be born to be the Savior of the world. And let's just imagine that Chattanooga was that city. You think about over this city, where do you think God would choose for Jesus to be born? Would he choose, I could name any any number of subdivisions, any number of houses. I could name the finest hotels downtown. And we would think, those were all befitting places in our own minds because of the honor and esteem with which we would hold the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet if he came as the Savior today, I doubt if any one of us could pick out, well, maybe. Do you suppose he would be born in a trailer park? Would that be some pretty humble means? In a very simple place. And think it behooves us during all the, and we talk about it year after year after year, about the commercialism of Christmas and what has happened in our day and age with this celebration of something that you and I hold very dear to our hearts and many, many Christians. And yet they go right out and join in with the world 
and all the glitter and the pomp and the festivity of who Jerry made. No, who made reference to that? Was it Jerry? The holiday season, the quote holiday season. Let's remember the humble surroundings of Jesus Christ and those he, who he came to minister to. You know, we've, we've had some, I would call pretty serious discussions about those whom we minister to, who come to our church doors seeking help. And I'm not saying I've got the answer for that, but I am saying I know who the Lord ministered to, and I know who was heavy upon his heart. So if we have to give money, if we have to collect food to feed the poor and the homeless, you know, that's exactly what I want to do, and that's exactly where I'd want to be. I would like to be found at the Lord's coming, ministering to those kind of people. So let's keep that in our hearts today. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We're grateful that we have such a Savior, such a Savior who didn't hold himself aloof from the common people of the day, but mingled with them, ate with them, prayed with them, and taught them. And I pray, Father, that as we consider those things and think about our Savior, that we would be just as willing to dirty our hands, to walk in places that we ordinarily would not be willing to walk in in order to do the will of our Savior. Help us, Father, to keep that tender heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And we want to give you an opportunity to come today. I pray that this kind of a simple message would just be something that would touch our hearts, remind us once again who we belong to. And if you have a need that would like to come today, we'd like to invite you to do that.